Well, folks, let's, uh, let's dive in. I just feel like we should, uh, we should pray. So, uh, so let's just do that. Let's just see. Just welcome your presence in the room. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you. We need you in our lives. Just be attentive to the Lord right now. He's at work. Even when we don't see him, he's at work. He's working. When we don't feel him, he's at work. Yes. Yes, Lord. Breathe on us, Holy Spirit. your presence. We need your power. We need you to reveal Jesus afresh to us again. Strength for today. Folks, my name's Paul, and uh, it is just lovely to be able to share this morning. Um, believe it or not, if you know me or not, if you know me, I actually really enjoy weddings. Um, that might come as a surprise to you, if you know me, because a bit of a, bit of a party pool. Party pool comes out at weddings. And there's evidence, I believe. Um, but I, I do, I genuinely love the whole occasion, and... Um, I actually love the ceremony bit. I love that the anticipation of the bride coming, and uh, it's much like this. We've, uh, you know, we've an aisle, and there's uh, people who are uh, waiting eagerly, uh, anticipating the arrival of the bride, and it's just a just a wonderful moment. And um, and and she makes her entrance, and. Uh, the, the, the women in the, in the, I was going to say, the audience, the crowd, the congregation, the, the guests, the women are checking her out and kind of going, wow, look at the dress, doesn't she look amazing and blah, blah, blah. And the guys in the room, they're kind of looking to the groom at the front to see if he's crying his eyes out or whatever. And it's just, it's just, just this amazing thing. But I, I really love um, actually officiating weddings because I get to see the bride before you all do because I'm the one waiting outside, uh, sometimes in the case of uh, Jules Hutchinson, uh, for 40-something minutes as we discussed that. Um, and if you know Jules, that's completely uncharacteristic of her. And she's got some really good excuses, so you can ask her about that afterwards. But uh, as, as you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. It's not just, for me, what the bride's wearing isn't that exciting, to be honest. But it's what, sorry, but it's what 
It's what they come in. It's the, it's the vehicle in which they come, the entrance in which they arrive. And, uh, and, and, and recently, at Nathan and Kate's wedding, Kate rocked up in a really fancy sports car. What was it? They're not here, are they? Was it a Lamborghini? Does anyone know? No one else saw it. <laughs> Wasted money. They could have rocked up in anything. <laughs> she could have got the bus. No one saw it except me. But anyway, there you go. We this morning celebrate Palm Sunday, or Pam Sunday, as you like to call it, um, which celebrates the triumphant entry, this incredible occasion where Jesus comes to town riding on a donkey, the most simple of transport. But boy, he makes an impression. Boy, he comes and, uh, and, and, and makes some kind of arrival. And over the course of the, the days leading up, to Good Friday um, cause an absolute ruckus amongst the whole city of Jerusalem. And we want to uh, dive into that. We want to look at that uh, this morning. I've got uh, a reading which Eve is about to read for us. Come on up. And um, we have a couple of videos to show because uh, pictures paint a thousand words. Uh, so why don't you do our reading from Mark's Gospel 11 verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at doorway. They answered as Jesus told them to, as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches as they had cut, they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed he it, who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed he is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around everyone, but since it was already late, he went out into Bethany with the twelve. Brilliant. Thank you. Well done. I absolutely love this event. It's an incredible moment, and, and we could easily just kind of read over it and really miss the significance of it. It's incredibly significant. And we need, to firstly, like whenever we look at the scriptures, to look at the context. What is about to happen, but actually what has happened before? So we need to understand, we need to unpack that. Firstly, Jesus, he knows what's coming. He's deliberately chosen this moment and this time, the season of Passover, uh, for uh, this to happen. He's predicted his death on three occasions to his disciples privately and personally. And yet they still didn't understand. They did not get what was about to unfold over those coming days. It's also important to pay attention to an event that happened fairly soon before this event. And that was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And we understand this and we learn this from John's gospel. Only John out of the four gospels uh, talks about this. 
and uh, we read this. Therefore, many of the Jews who'd come to visit Mary, they'd seen what Jesus did, they believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting. What are we accomplishing, they asked. This guy, this man, he keeps performing all these many signs, these miracles. If we let him keep doing all this stuff, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. You can imagine, can't you, the raising of Lazarus. I mean, it's one thing to uh, heal the sick. It's one thing to, uh, to give sight to the blind. It's one thing to feed the 5,000. But someone who's been dead for days to bring them back to life, that's pretty special. That is unbelievably miraculous and, and, and incredible, and it's drawing enormous attention. The Pharisees, the religious people, they see this, and they see the attention that's drawing. They're like, oh my goodness, we've got to stop this man. People keep uh, believing in him, trusting in him. If this keeps happening, we're going to lose our heritage. We're going to lose the temple. We're going to lose what we have. And, uh, and so they feel increasingly threatened. Um, because of this, because of the pressure, Jesus has to leave um, this place called Bethany. Uh, and he needs to get away, he needs to get some space away from the publicity that's being drawn. And so therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly um, among the, the people of Judea. Instead, he withdraws to the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, uh, where he stayed with his disciples. And, and often we see this through the scriptures we see uh, Jesus does something really significant. He says something really significant, and it just draws the crowd. I mean, they didn't even have social media in those days, and yet, you know, the message was just spilling out from place to place, from village to village, from household to household, and Jesus often had to get away and get away from the crowds, and that's what he does. Now, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. As they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival? Where, where, where surely? So there's people there arriving in Jerusalem already, and there's this anticipation, Jesus is surely going to come. And so much is being talked about him that they want to see him. They want to hear from him. Passover is coming. Passover, very briefly, it's one. It's the first of the three main celebrations of the Jewish people um, that they celebrated on a yearly basis. And really, Passover was to celebrate and to remember the time when, when God overthrew them and released them from captivity, from Egyptian present, uh, oppression. They'd been slaves there for many, many years, for generations. And uh, during the night of Passover, uh, God uh, releases and, and frees his people, the Israelites, in order to leave and to return to uh, the, the promised land. Jesus deliberately chooses this time, deliberately, the Passover, the Passover, which we're going to see in a minute, where a lamb which was chosen, the blood of a lamb, which was painted on the doors to prevent the firstborn from being killed, which we read about in the Old Testament. Jesus was going to be the lamb, and he deliberately chooses this time. There's this anticipation, it's building and building in Jerusalem. 
and we read six days before the Passover, Jesus came back to Bethany. So he's been in Bethany, he's, he's healed Lazarus from the dead, he's retreated to Ephraim, now he returns six days before the Passover. Jesus comes to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a, ta- a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. He's there uh, um, together with a brother and two sisters, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and they're having dinner. And it's during this period that we read another really well-known uh, story where Mary takes the alabaster jar full of perfume and she pours it upon Jesus' feet and she uses her hair to wipe it uh, uh, across his feet. This incredibly intimate moment that we read about uh, in preparation for what was to come. And then as the days wear on, uh, Jesus and his disciples, they make their way to Jerusalem. It's about five miles from Bethany, so it's a bit of a walk for them. Uh, but as we do come back to the story which, uh, which Eve read for us, it's important that we spend a bit of time looking at the symbolism, the meaning, the intent, the perfect timing involved. And hopefully this first video will show you just a bit about the timing. Amid shouts of praise and the waving of palm branches, Jesus triumphantly entered into the city of Jerusalem. This event marked the beginning of the most significant week in human history. Understanding the historical setting of this singular event can teach us of the ultimate mission of the Savior, as the Lamb of God and the true King of Kings. To better understand the importance of the triumphal entry, It is helpful to first understand its correlation to the Feast of Passover or Pesach. Passover was the first of three major Jewish feasts celebrated each year. The feast was to commemorate the deliverance of ancient Israel from bondage in Egypt. According to Exodus 12, the Lord commanded Israel to select a lamb without blemish on the 10th day of the first month. Once selected, the lamb was then brought into their homes to live with the family for the next four days. On the eve before the start of the fifteenth day, they were then to kill the lamb, smear the blood on the doorposts, and share together the Passover feast. If they did this, the Lord promised that the destroying angel would pass by them and spare the firstborn of the home. Every year afterward, Israel celebrated Passover to remember the great deliverance from bondage. In addition, the Jews at the time of Jesus were looking forward to a coming Messiah, who would hopefully likewise during Passover deliver them from their Roman oppressors. With this background in mind, let's study the events of the triumphal entry. Shortly before Passover, the Savior began his last mortal journey to Jerusalem. Like Jesus, hundreds of thousands of Jews were also arriving to celebrate the feast. With the city swelling beyond capacity, many would have camped on the Mount of Olives and surrounding areas. Jesus chose to stay in nearby Bethany with the family of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, whom he had just raised from the dead. News of this remarkable miracle spread like wildfire. 
The promised Messiah had come. As the Savior and his disciples climbed over the Mount of Olives, with the temple glistening in the morning sun, the people cut branches from palm trees, waving them excitedly, and laid their garments on the ground to cover his path. The significance of the timing is unmistakable. According to the Synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the day Jesus entered was the tenth day of the month, five days before Passover. This would mean that on the very same day that the Jews were selecting their Passover lambs, Jesus, the true Lamb of God, rode into Jerusalem and was symbolically chosen by the people. Also, just as the lambs would be brought into the homes of the people to stay for the next four days, so too Jesus came into his Father's house, the temple, and taught for the next four days before his death. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing? The symbolism, the timing involved. Ten days, on the tenth day, and then for four days, the lamb literally would have been brought into the home. Imagine doing that. Becomes like this pet which we then sort of sacrifice. Jesus comes riding on a donkey. Comes to the house, to the temple, where for four days he spends time. I would encourage you over these days leading to Friday, read the scriptures. Go to the four gospels. Each of the gospels say something uh, some of them, as you know, the synoptic gospels are similar. Some of them are very different, especially John. My goodness, there's chapters in John leading before the cross. But we see in those four days, Jesus spends time uh, teaching, healing, um, casting people out of the temple. It's absolutely incredible. And it's during that time that the public opinion of who Jesus is begins to shift. Because we see, don't we, as Jesus comes riding on a donkey, the people celebrate. They come out in their droves to celebrate uh, this, uh, this person. And they believe him to be possibly the one they'd been praying for, the one they'd been hoping for. And Jesus is that person, but he's not who they thought he was. He is and he comes as the Messiah. Jesus would have... Um, he would have been to Jerusalem on several occasions before, but this time he chooses to come in this way. He chooses to come as a leader riding on a donkey, and we're going to uh, see a little bit more about that in a moment. But it's the first uh, time where Jesus makes himself and who he really is known to the people. So many times before, uh, whenever attention was being drawn to him, he, he, would, he would come to the side. My time yet has not come. And three years of, of ministry, of public ministry, Jesus declares in this moment what uh, some scholars have said in, about Mark's gospel, the messianic uh, secret. He is revealing himself and he's coming as the king. And the people, the public, relished this. They wanted this. They wanted this Messiah-like figure to come. But their expectation was centered around a warrior-like figure, somebody who would come to overthrow the Roman oppression. They'd been oppressed before. They'd been the subject of, of other oppression 
uh, times before, and at this time, their, their latest oppressors were the Romans who'd occupied their land and were affecting their lives. And they prayed, they longed for this person to come. But Jesus played all this down. He dulled all those expectations down to fully and truly define his suffering role. He came to conquer way more than just Roman oppression. He came to conquer sin and death and Satan. And this next video hopefully explains that just a little bit better. What was the significance of the triumphal entry? The triumphal entry is that of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on what we know as Palm Sunday, the Sunday before the crucifixion. The story of the triumphal entry is one of the few incidents in the life of Jesus which appears in all four gospel accounts. Putting the four accounts together, it becomes clear that the triumphal entry was a significant event, not only to the people of Jesus' day, but to Christians throughout history. We celebrate Palm Sunday to remember that momentous occasion. On that day, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a borrowed donkey's colt, one that had never been ridden before. The disciples spread their cloaks on the donkey for Jesus to sit on, and the multitudes came out to welcome him, laying before him their cloaks and branches of palm trees. The people hailed and praised him as the king who comes in the name of the Lord, as he rode to the temple where he taught the people, healed them, and drove out the money changers and merchants who had made his father's house a den of robbers. Jesus' purpose in riding into Jerusalem was to make public his claim to be their Messiah and King of Israel in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Matthew says that the king coming in the foal of a donkey was an exact fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, daughter of Jerusalem! See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus rides into his capital city as a conquering king and is hailed by the people as such in the manner of the day. The streets of Jerusalem, the royal city, are open to him, and like a king, he ascends to his palace. Not a temporal palace, but the spiritual palace that is the temple, because his is a spiritual kingdom. He receives the worship and praise of the people because only he deserves it. No longer does he tell his disciples to be quiet about him but to shout his praises and worship him openly. The spreading of cloaks was an act of homage for royalty. Jesus was openly declaring to the people that he was their king and the Messiah they had been waiting for. Unfortunately, the praise the people lavished on Jesus was not because they recognized him as their savior from sin. They welcomed him out of their desire for a messianic deliverer, someone who would lead them in a revolt against Rome. Great. So let's dive in a bit more about what actually happens. First of all, you have the people. The people who are already there. They've come in their droves. They're there. They, they booked the premier in and they got a cheap deal. So they got extra nights in Jerusalem. And they're already there. And there's this anticipation building. And they're the ones that would have been prepared. And they've cut the branches in eagerly anticipating his arrival. Then you have the people that have come in tow. They're the ones who have traveled with him from Bethany, and they're part of the crowd together with Jesus and the disciples. Then you have the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they are on the lookout. They're looking for a way in which to, to capture him, arrest him, and ultimately put a stop to what he has been doing. 
And then last but not least, and it's not mentioned in the scriptures, but it would be the Romans themselves, the soldiers, the ones who'd have to basically police it. Then we have the donkey. The donkey is a really uh, interesting component of it. The donkey or a, uh, a colt, which is the, uh, the foal of a donkey, would have been a young male. And in Mark's gospel, it makes it really clear that it's unridden. It's never, been, never had anyone on it before. Uh, untamed and, and, and probably quite wild. It's important that we understand that this is almost like the lowest of the low. It's almost like riding, it's like driving into the city with a, you know, the most basic Fiat 500 model. It's like, it's like the real low, low, low. But in comparison to the souped up five, Fiat 500 model with the you know, bells and whistles, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. Or, or for us, it's like our little Toyota Igo. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like low. And Jesus chooses this particular transportation for two reasons. One, it is in keeping with his humility. It would be so like Jesus to come on a donkey. But actually, there's a second and probably more important reason. It's important to understand that in ancient Middle Eastern world, leaders, kings, would have rode horses if they were going into battle. But if they were coming in peace, they would ride a donkey. And we know this uh, from 1 Kings one thirty-three. It mentions that Solomon rides a donkey on the day that he was recognized as the new king of Israel. So you ride a horse if you're going into battle, but you ride a donkey if you come in peace. And this is incredibly symbolic as Jesus, the leader, the king, comes the prince of peace. What's interesting is, in contrast to this, is what we read in Revelation, when Jesus will come again. He won't come riding on a donkey. In Revelation 19, uh, John writes, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose name is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. So what about the, the branches and the cloaks? Because they have symbolism and they have meaning also. We saw in that latest video that uh, the, the, the cloaks uh, that were laid upon the ground was uh, symbolized uh, kind of the, the playing of homage to royalty. There was just something about the meaning of that. In 2 Kings 9.13, we read this. They quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. And it was this symbolic meaning of, of, of paying homage to one who was royal. Uh, the use of palm tree branches also symbolize victory, triumph, peace, and eternal life. Um, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, another one of the Jewish uh, feasts, uh, where they would have made booths, these kind of tents, these places, these dwelling places, and celebrated a seven-day festival. They would have made booths using palm trees. Uh, we read this in Leviticus 23, 40. On the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, uh, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. And it's important that we understand, again, that the Feast of Tabernacles was celebrating victory. And you understand, you see the symbolism with the, with the palm trees themselves. It, it was to do with victory. 
And, and that which we know as, as, the, as the days unfold is really, really important. And again, just to mention, interestingly, when Jesus comes again in Revelation, we read after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands which will be for us the ultimate victory when Jesus returns again. And then let's briefly look at the words which were used during this triumphant entry. All four gospel writers, they all quote that uh, similar to what Mark read, uh, wrote, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. These words, they're taken, they're quoted from Psalm 118. And then we read in Luke's account that some of the Pharisees in the crowd, they said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples, tell them to be quiet. And Jesus says, if I tell them to be quiet, even the stones will cry out. That was the magnitude and the significance of what was happening. The triumphant entry signifies the beginning of the end, the days which I'd encourage you to read about in the scriptures leading to the cross. Jesus, the coming king who comes on a donkey, doesn't come with, um, in a horse with um, fanfares of this, that, the other. Jesus, uh, over the coming days, receives not a crown of gold, but a crown of of thorns the robes which would have been draped over a king the very basic humble clothes of Jesus would have been removed from him as he received the 40 lashes royalty would often come holding a, is it called a scepter he's beaten with a stick and he's mocked and he's spat at and he's led to a desolate place where he's nailed upon a cross. And he does that for us.